It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just what direction are the Philadelphia Flyers going in? The free agency question mark and Colin Newby from the Hockey Writers joins the show. Let's talk about it all right now. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It is episode 120 of Orange and Back Check. As I said, Colin Newby of the Hockey Writers is going to be joining the show. But first, Scott and I need to figure out our own thoughts. What the hell is the direction of this Philadelphia Flyers team? I think it's a simple. We don't know. It's a web of def- it's a web of confusion. Scott, what are you thinking? What's going on, brother? They're rebuilding without telling us they're rebuilding. That's exactly what's happening. That that okay. yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assumption or a fair right. uh, de- depiction. And here's and here's the thing. Like this is the first season since two thousand nine, two thousand ten. That you're going into it without Claude Giroux, without yeah. you know players like Jake Voracek, without uh, what's called big name players like Chris Pronger, Danny Briere, Kimo Timonen. You're going into a team that you've had for a few seasons now without the point production from Claude Giroux, the leadership from Claude Giroux, the face of the franchise like Claude Giroux. You know it, it it is new. It is new, and I you know I I think that some of the moves that this team has made is is really big on looking at where they're at now and they think that they can compete. And look, there's a lot of issues with the Johnny Gaudreau situation. A lot of people are pissed about it. They have a right to be, but there's some reasons why too, why they, they, why they held, they stood firm and, and didn't make the move that will actually pay off in the future. Um, but uh, I think that this team, their their aggressive retool is their way of rebuilding, but also thinking that they're good enough for this team to do more than you know what we think. So I'm con- I'm a little confused, and I'll talk about this with Colin. Like, I, there's a part of me that believes actually on I'm actually on the side of Dave Scott almost like that. Like I think this falls squarely on the face of Chuck Fletcher. I don't think Chuck Fletcher knows the plan. That he wants to implement. And I what I mean by that is he was told by Dave Scott, he has this blank check. We're going for the aggressive retool. We're not happy with what we're doing. We want to fix it. And and look, we talked about this throughout the season after that press conference. We did see some anecdotal corrections. They brought the music down, they brought more of an atmosphere to the game at the Wells Fargo Center for the fan experience. But the real meat of the, the the blank check argument was obviously bringing back the player, the player that will uh, or the players that will get butts and seats, that will get fans excited, and nobody uh, has to question the direction of the team. 
and once you're told that you're not going after Dabrinkit, which I can be argued like, fine, uh, Cutter Gunthier is a is a better uh, option theoretically. Um, but then you're talking about a kid or a guy in Johnny Gaudreau who you've known for the better part of a year that is like, I want to play for the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm not uh, kidding about this. It is my hometown team. Figure out a way. I want to play for this team. Yeah. And you had a whole year, basically since December, because you were out in December of this league, of this past season, to figure out how to get JVR, and not just exclusively JVR's contract. You had other options. They were a little bit more uh, noteworthy because I think they're more impactful. I think JVR's impact uh, you can, you can live without, but for the mo- for the most of for the biggest part, you had the option to get rid of JVR's contract since December, and you waited until July twelfth to figure out. Oh, let's try and unload this thing. Like that's inexcusable, and I blame Chuck Fletcher more than Dave Scott because it's on the the GM. You have to make these moves in advance. You have to be thinking three yards ahead or 15 feet ahead of you instead of an inch ahead of you. This is really what it comes down to. I don't, it see, it feels like Chuck Fletcher is just flying by the seat of his pants and hoping that it will work out. Because if it's not going to work out, and I'm I'm a betting man that it's not going to, he's out of a job by December. Like, there's no way he's the GM in January if this team it is, ba- is as bad as we think it's going to be. I, I disagree. I think that he gets the season. I really think that with, with, with Tortorella coming in here, with the moves that he made, I think he gets the season. I really think that, what, look, I, I, I said the other day that adding Johnny Gaudreau to this team would be very helpful, and the Flyers could do, should do everything that they can to do that. But there are certain limits with that. I mean, look, are, you have to be realistic here. You, you can't just be living in fantasy and like, oh, my God, like the, the whole hometown narrative that the kid wants to come home and he wants to play here. I completely agree. It would help the casual fan. It would help with merchandise. It would help with, you know, a lot of high pros on the hockey side, too. Like, as far as, you know, adding speed to the wing, you know, you'd increase, you'd, you'd make your power play better. You know, you'd add that star to fill fans in the seats again. Yep. I, I, I think the Flyers, you're going to think I'm nuts when I say this. I actually kind of give the Flyers credit for holding some restraint here. I, I really, really do. And listen, again, I, I, it, I'm in the minority with it, but I, 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 I do. I really think that they didn't, they didn't get desperate in the sense where, look, teams wanted a first round pick for JVR. You don't give up a first round pick for someone who is along with someone who is on the last year of their contract. Listen, but think be, about it this way. Th- think about it this way. You're giving. Think about it in the way of who you're acquiring. If you give up JVR in the first round pick, you get Johnny Gaudreau. Like, it, there's no question. Johnny yes. Gaudreau is on your team. You so you're do. giving up JVR and a first for Johnny Gaudreau. I think you do that 95% of the time. And I disagree. It's like paying over MSRP for a car. Like, I, I know I use that analogy, but people did that when the freaking Kia Telluride came out. You were paying like $10,000 of MSRP. Oh, because it's a really nice car. No. Like, listen. People just want to look at the service and look at JVR as a whole. JVR scored 24 goals last year in a league that's not hard and that's not easy to score in. And he's also his while his AAV, which is based upon the cap, is at seven million. He's only owed like four because of his contract and perform and the bonus is already paid out. 
So he, you're going to say, hey, look, take a $4 million salary for a guy who took $24 million, who I would score, scored 24 goals last year. We want to trade you somebody, you know, gives us relief. You know, you could use it on your team. And teams are saying, no, we want a first-round pick along with it. Hell no, I'm not doing that deal. I'm sorry, I'm not. Now, if I'm looking at a second or third round pick, okay, a little more. But in a stack draft like next season, I'm not giving up a first round pick along with a player who has an expiring contract. If JVR had term on his deal like Ghost did, that's fine. And you gave up a second to do that, but he had term on his deal. Not for an expiring contract. And I think that's what people are missing. The people got so hung up on the fact that Johnny Gaudreau would have been a flip for that. But here's the bigger issue. You still needed $2.5 million of cap space to come up with that. Where are you getting that from? It wasn't just the one move. Because if you do that, you're really up. Hang on, you're really up against it with Limblom. Even with the Limblom, you're freeing that up. You only got what five hundred thousand dollars to sign. You know, and that we're talking. You need to qualify um, Morgan Frost, Owen Tippett. You need a backup goaltender. <coughs> it just they were too up against it. They're just too up against it. And well, here's those the bigger thing: contract. you have. Go ahead. No, no, well, those two-way contracts don't count against the cap. So the Felix Sandstrom's of the world and all that, the Ronnie Adderd, those kind of contracts don't go against your cap hit, if right. I'm not you, mistaken. But you don't have a backup goaltender. You need to roster one. You had Felix Sandstrom. Felix Sandstrom. Yeah. And, and that, where does that money? You still need to allocate that money for the cap hit, regardless if it's a $750,000. It still adds against it. So, and, and, and that's the thing with the economics of the league is that if people want to say, you know, LTIR with, with Ellis, okay. Yeah. You know, you that could was, go over that was 10%. Probably the, that's, yeah, that's probably where the money would have come from. They would have put like, Ellis on the LTIR. But they're not ready to do that. Like, it, it, there's a lot more here than just, hey, trade JVR. You don't trade a guy who scored 24 goals plus a first-round draft pick to, to, to do that. If it were a second or third, I don't have an issue with that. I yep. think that's fair. But it's restraint not to not to say because teams knew what they were going to do. Teams are like, man, we know what you're going to do. Yeah, we want to drive out the bargain because you know the teams are desperate enough to do that. And then listen, there are some teams out there who are going to regret not picking up a 24 goal score. And and here's the biggest thing that people have to realize. I've had a couple days of sleep on this and really think about this. You don't have Joel Faraby Faraby until Thanksgiving. You you don't like. You, you need all the help you can get along the wing. And why, yes, if you trade Johnny Gaudreau, or trade, or trade JVR to get Johnny Gaudreau, yes, mm-hmm. you're adding more up front. But there's no guarantee that he's not going to replicate 115 points again. Not with, not with a center like this. Not, not, not with, even with Coots, a healthy Coots. He's not going to replicate 115 points. He's not. So that's already there. And, he's still going to get you 85 to 90, though. He he's could. still going to get you. He could. He could, but here and here's the thing. This is where the risk comes in at. You're gonna tie nine and a half million dollars on your cap for a guy for that amount of term. When next season you also have to figure out what the hell you're doing with Travis Sanheim because he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Like cap space is your biggest commodity, and so are your draft picks. That's why teams build from within. They do that. The Flyers have to get. This is the modern way of the league. Like it's not signing high profile free agents anymore. Yes, it doesn't come. They don't come around often. But, hey, there's two things I'm going to say on this, and then I'm, I'm done on Gaudreau. One, I've said it from the beginning. The pressure that would be on Johnny Gaudreau for being the hometown narrator, how many points he had going on, would not be in his benefit at all with this city. Because if he didn't come in and put up 100, 100 even 100 points, people are going to say he's a bust. And a year later, why did we ever sign this guy? And, and woo-hoo Chuck. This is a move 
that the Flyers might actually look back on and say, you know what, we were better off not making. And here's another thing too. Yes, the hockey-related revenue, the business side, all that stuff. They were actually able to put that aside and say, hey, look, this this is actually really good for a, a franchise like Columbus. Because when's the last time a notable player electively signed in there, in there. Now they're reaping the benefits of that additional revenue of the thing because listen, everybody's gonna be wearing a Gaudreau jersey. That's a lot of money falling on in there. Everybody's gonna know Johnny Gaudreau and that in that area. That's a big star for them in a smaller market, but it's all it, it, it's helpful. It helps the league overall. Not as much dollar impact as it would be for the Flyers, but it does help the league, especially because it's in a U.S. market. I I think that people are not looking this as a whole and saying, oh my God, hometown kid, look. I, I think it could have ended up a, a lot worse than people did. It would have been beneficial when you look at it in the short term, but in the long term, it could have serious impact on this team and where this team wants to go. And I do. And again, stop. Yes, you need to make up Claude Giroux's production, but my goodness, I think this team's closer than people think. And if you're not seeing that, you're, you're not seeing the glass half full. You're not seeing the positive of of getting Sean Couturier fully healthy, Kevin Hayes him healthy and playing the way he did in the second half of the season. You need some more help along the wings. You have Owen Tippett, who's got another season under his belt. Morgan Frost, another season on their belt. Travis Konecki needs to step it up. You still have Cam Atkinson on this team. You've upgraded the defense. This team's better than people think. I don't think you need to go out and get a Johnny Gaudreau. You need that skill set, that speed. But I, I, I just think that people are, are looking at this through the wrong lens. And rightly so. It's a local guy. Yeah, the team <laughs> hasn't been good. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But look at the bigger picture. It's not a bad thing that he didn't come here. It would have been more problematic if he did, if you ask me. Ooh. All right. We got Colin Newby. He's a credentialed writer for the Hockey Writers and a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Colin, how are you, sir? Doing great. Nice Sunday morning down the Jersey Shore. At Jersey Shore? Which, which, which one you at? I'm in Seattle right now. Ah, nice. Nice. Perfect. Nice. So, Colin, I mean, this has been a, uh interesting couple of days here for the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, we've been told a lot of things. A lot of things have happened. Uh, your 30,000-foot reaction of what has happened with Transpot, not getting Johnny Gaudreau, not trading that fifth overall pick for Debrinkit, reportedly, uh, JVR rumors. What, what, what's your feeling so f- at, at this current Well, juncture? I think I share the sentiment of most people around this team that there really just is no direction. Uh, I posted an article the other day that called it internal dysfunction. Nobody really knows what they want and where they're going with this. If you look at each one of their moves individually, they just don't align with each other. You have Oscar Limbaum being bought out. That's an aggressive move. You have Tony D'Angelo being bought out. That's an aggressive move. And then you pass up the free agent from the Philadelphia area, the top-end talent that you said you needed on the roster when it was served up to you on a silver platter. So how do these things align with each other? Yeah, I think that's just kind of the overall feeling. Like you, They say in the middle of the season, oh, we're going for the aggressive retool, blank check, that whole thing. From Dave Scott himself, the CEO and the owner, the, the, the name in, of the organization, saying he's giving this blank check to Chuck Fletcher to figure everything out. And honestly, I kind of believe Dave Scott still thinks this is aggressive retool, but Chuck Fletcher, I don't know if he lied. I don't know if he has a bad 
uh, plan ahead of him. But, like, it seems like this is falling on Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott's like, hey, you better win or you're going to be fired in about three months or whatever the, whatever the, the, the timeline is. Which would is. align, I guess, with the signings of Nick Delorier and Justin Braun, which, for the record, I don't necessarily hate. Uh, Nick Delorier is a, pl- a player that I've really enjoyed watching over the years. Uh, I think he's one of the best fighters in the NHL. I realize that a lot of people listening to this are not going to like that I said that because fighting is supposedly frowned upon now, but I do enjoy the style of play. I just don't think you needed to give him four years and prioritize that because it was exactly the problem that people had when you prioritize Rasmus Ristolainen in this whole aggressive retool. You can sign this big bruising defenseman and you can sign an old school fighter to significant contracts. These are not just two-way deals or anything, but you can't sign Johnny Gaudreau. That doesn't make any sense. And then with Justin Braun, I had an even bigger problem, and it's got very little to do with Justin Braun as a player. My problem is why do you have a comfort zone with a player you want to bring back to the organization after how bad your defensemen have been the past two years? Justin Braun, not a bad hockey player. He is a bad fit in free agency for the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I see that. I, I don't know if I fully agree with that one, I'll be honest with you. I, and the thing is, I'm one of the few, after sleeping on it for a few days with Nick Delorier, you know, I, I know people are, are screaming about the modified no trade clause, but last year this team was not tough to play against, plain and simple. They were not mm-hmm. tough. It's not adding a fighter. I'm not an analytics guy by any stretch of the imagination. I, I don't I but this is clearly an analytics move because you look at what he's done on the penalty kill and look at what he does on five on five defensively and he does pretty well. Yeah, everybody's like, Oh my god, like, you know, is not a WAR is nine percent. I don't even know what the hell that means. But when I see like, hey, blue and defensive five on five and penalty kill, they were putrid defensively as a team last year. And I think that adding a guy like Nick Delorier can help this team out in two areas where they really struggled. Penalty kill, 5-on-5 five five defensively. You know, and, and the thing is, like, you know, you mentioned Risto, and I, that's a good point you bring that up. The, the I think the problem was Flyers with defensive led, defensively last year is that the defenseman would panic when they would have the puck on their own end because they had nobody who could make that first pass out of the zone. The problem wasn't their playing defense the problem was they kept turning the puck over because they had nobody right nobody would come back and support the the wingers wouldn't come back and support enough you don't have any centers who can drive the middle the play up the middle so teams pinch and teams uh teams increase the pressure on the forecheck to do all that i think that the, the biggest problem for this team was was transitioning from the defensive zone to the offensive zone so you had someone who just got who's got can play well five on five defensively not panic with the puck you know, great. Yeah, he's not an offensive guy. You're not signing a fourth line player to get offensive, you know, uh, points. So I that that's my view on this, and I think that people might have it look at just on the surface and not realize what what this move really means. Yeah, like I said, I don't hate the signing. I just hate the bigger picture and how this signing fits into it. Uh, but you do make a lot of good points there, and Chuck Fletcher acknowledged as much back in his exit interview, 
Um, the subject of harder to play against, that annoying hockey cliche, has come up so many times. And he was asked about it. I thought he gave a really interesting answer in his exit interview. He said, teams who play with the puck all the time are hard to play against, which you saw in the Stanley Cup final. The Avalanche have the puck all the time, so that's who he wants to emulate. But all of a sudden now in free agency, he's back to simplifying that mantra and prioritizing things that aren't necessarily the biggest things that will help you in the NHL. Although, as I mentioned earlier, I do enjoy the scrappy style of play. I just don't think it needs to be your top priority. I'm in agreement. Yeah, and that's where I fall. Yeah, that's where I fall. I think that the, it seems like the notion of a uh, tough to play against has taken on this mantra of yeah. the old 90s style hockey where the Flyers were really, really good. Obviously, you had the 97 Cup run and all that. But in today's NHL, we're talking about a you have to be faster, you have to be play with the puck, as, as we talked about. And that's where John Tortorella is supposed to be coming into to f- not just play with the puck, but play off the puck and get the puck back. So in one aspect, the John Tortorella signing, going back to this retool thing, sounds like a really good idea, really cool. But now I feel like he's been sold a bill of goods of guys that like the notion of tough to play against has taken on this mantra of, again, 90s style hockey. And we're just going to be stuck in the rut of trying to play against these teams like the Avalanche, like the, like the Lightning, like even Florida, who are still really good. They're still going to be a top contending team this year. And you're kind of just trying to uh, emulate the past for the Flyers. And it's going to blow up spectacu- spectacularly in your face here, like 40 games in, we're going to talk about halfway through. Maybe even sooner. Yeah, and I think you're touching on the problem that a lot of media and fans have touched on over the past week or so um, in that the direction is very confusing. I think that conversation, though, has morphed into the whole retool versus rebuild conversation, which I've actually been critical of because I think most people are saying it's A, a retool, it's B, a rebuild. I think these are arbitrary concepts that don't actually mean a definitive direction 100%. I kind of posed an option C a few weeks back, which is probably a little closer to what they did in that you don't necessarily need to pick either one. You need to get yourself back on track, which is kind of what Chuck Fletcher said the other day. The only reason I have a problem with it is because his moves don't align with it. Like I said, he... He signs DeLaurier with this harder-to-play-against mantra, but why do you have Tony D'Angelo then, who's not a strong defensive player? And one great point I heard the other day was Charlie O'Connor of The Athletics said, you're trying to build your team based on character, except you've just released Oscar Lindblom, or bought out Oscar Lindblom is uh, the correct terminology there. And you've brought in Tony D'Angelo, who mm-hmm. I personally don't have a problem with the decision to bring him in and waive the character issues. But you can't just act like they're not there and buy out Oscar Lindblom, who by all accounts is one of the most liked players on the team and obviously a very inspirational story with the whole cancer battle and all. 
Yeah, to the Tony D'Angelo point, I think you and I are on the same page there. Like, it's kind of like, hey, he made this huge mistake back in, like, for a long time. Like, they can't be ignored. It's looked like he redeemed himself down in Carolina, but that means diddly squat up here in Philadelphia because Philadelphia fans aren't watching what Carolina's doing to the degree that we're watching the Flyers do. Like, if if he comes in and he shows that he is a redeemed player, then no one's going to care, especially if he plays well and to the offensive capability that he is expected as a defenseman. No, I mean, no. so, so I agree with you. Part of it, too, that. is that's that he played with Jacob yeah. Slavin last year and was a plus 30. That's why they're really looking at him. But Ivan Provorov is not Jacob Slavin. So that, that, that's one thing. And, Colin, let me ask you this, you know, yeah. and I'm glad you touched on the Tony D'Angelo uh, portion of it. That really comes in the question about with, with what they're doing with Ryan Ellis here. I mean, if you from your perspective, I mean, they, they, it, they might have a little bit of a crowded blue line here. So, like, think about it this way, is that if they bring back, you know, um, Justin Braun, they have – uh, Ryan Ellis, who may or may not be on LTIR. Now they have Tony D'Angelo. They have Travis Sanheim, who's going to be a free agent after the season, and Rasmus Jalainen. What, what do you think the – not so much the plan is, but do you think that they're a little too much there at the blue line and kind of by you know pulling up assets for that, or what, what do you think their plan is? Well, I think they gave you a big indicator that Ryan Ellis is not healthy, and that's more of a reading between the lines – I don't think they're going to come out and tell you, no, we're not counting on him to play anything. But I almost get the sense that they're hedging their bets and they think that whatever you get out of Ryan Ellis is a bonus at this point. And it's very hard for us just to sit here and judge Ryan Ellis's health. This multi-layered injury that they keep talking about, well, what really is that? Do we... Do we know when he's going to get back on the ice? A groin injury is very hard to return from. So what do you really have here? I don't know. Only the medical staff can really tell you that. But I think that is the indicator that whatever you get out of Ellis is a bonus. And it's not like it's a bad thing if you are loaded on defense. Um, What do you guys think of the financial investment in all the guys you just mentioned? Like, so here's where I came across, and we actually talked about this with um, the fifth overall pick that was being rumored to be shopped for Dabrinkit out in Chicago. Like, you give up this 14th overall pick a couple years last year for a pending free agent in uh, Rasmussen Ristolainen, then you sign him to a long-term deal, you sign him to a five-year extension at, at around five, I believe it was, at AAV. And then you you tell yourself, no, it's not worth it for a guy like Dabrinkit, who's also a pending free agent, who, if you could theoretically argue, and I would be one to do it, you could theoretically argue that your two biggest acquisitions this year slipped through your fingers because you could have traded the fifth overall pick for Debrinkit. Then you could have even unloaded JVR for whatever first-round pick that that team wanted in the rumor that was Buffalo. And then all of a sudden you're talking about Debrinkit and Johnny Gaudreau as your two biggest acquisitions. That's the aggressive retool that we're talking about and been told. Like, that's where I fall. So, again, it goes back to that messaging of just inconsistency. You don't know – if you don't have a plan, it it goes by the wayside and it it looks terrible. And then you have this this outpouring of of criticism by the fan base. And I think that's what's happening here. Like, yeah, I I, I think it's just hypocritical – or not hypocritical, but, like, inconsistent in what they're trying to do with a guy like – Rasmussen Ristolainen saying, yeah, this is a good 
acquisition and signing compared to no to bring it sure and i think uh wrist align and aligns with what we were saying a few minutes back about nick delorier uh he can bring something to the table it's just you have mixed up priorities and you're going in different directions more so than i personally have a problem with the individual player i i wonder how much of this was actually their plan to be it seems like to me that they're they're and i know you talked about the terms are arbitrary it seems like to me they're in a rebuild and, and, and there's there's two ways I'm, I'm looking at this first of all everybody's up in arms they didn't you know sign johnny goudreau okay i i, I understand that completely it, it, he's a lo- local guy hometown it would be an absolute thing you know you'd have much more fan, you'd have you have a storyline going into the season the f- fans would want to come and see an exciting elite player like that you know, you'd, you'd get the casual fan interested again from the hometown angle. You'd sell a ton of merchandise, you know, be good for hockey-related revenue, all these different things that would flow in and increase the salary cap. Like, it would be a big it'd be a big deal. People just look at the salary cap, but there's a lot of trickle-down effects, especially that are tied to the salary cap, hockey-related revenue, with signing a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. However, I think they had a feeling that they were going to go in and really push for that. But I think the problem is, and, and, and listen, I, I can't, I can't disagree with Chuck on this, and this is my view, and Colin, you may agree. JVR's got an expiring contract. They've already paid out some money in a bonus. I think he's got like $4 million in salary this year. Yes, his cap hit is seven, but teams were asking for a first-round draft pick for an expiring contract for a guy who scored 24 goals last year. I, I, I really I understand trading a pick. Maybe you have to give up a second or a third for that. I'd be probably okay with that if you had a really good chance of signing a Joe. But signing a, a trading a first round pick in, in next year's draft when it's supposed to be stacked, I don't think is a wise investment at all. And I think it's really smart that Chuck held his ground and said, "Hey, look, we may not get the you know the shiny new Cadillac or sports car that's out there. I might have to go buy off the pre-owned lot." But I I really still think that internally, and from when I look on the outside, I I think that this team still feels like that they're closer than people think. What do you think about both of those things as far as the Gaudreau angle, trading a first for JVR, and, and where they're really at now roster-wise with a healthy Sean Couturier and a healthy Kevin Hayes? Well, the logic you just used on the Johnny Gaudreau situation also applies to Alex Dabrinkit. Yeah, you won Alex Dabrinkit, but are you really going to throw that fifth overall pick away, this premium pick that could be a franchise builder that you just spent on Cutter Gauthier? My problem is that if that was the case, that you wanted to keep the fifth overall pick, that you didn't want to make that big investment you're talking about to get rid of JVR, to spend all this money to acquire Johnny Gaudreau, then why'd you just trade three draft picks for Tony D'Angelo and sign him to $5 million in AAV? There's another case that these things don't really align with each other, even if maybe they make a little bit of sense individually. And I think you can say that for pretty much any move that they've made in the past, what is a couple weeks since the draft. No, and I, I agree with that, and that's a fair point. Like, when you look at it on the surface as a whole, you're right. It, it, that's where it seems incoherent. You know, it, I, I look at every move they make individually and what they're trying to do. And, I, you know, with, with this team where they're at now, they have to find a way to make up Claude Giroux's production. And I really think that they're banking on guys like Owen Tippett and Morgan Frost to do that. 
have a little more scoring depth down the line with younger players. Maybe a guy like Tyson Forster is ready to come up and really play. I, I, that's where I think where they're at is that they're they're not so much concerned about the offensive side of the puck. Def, your Tortorella is going to have more of a defensive style game anyway to get them you know going. But when you look at like Tony D'Angelo, the biggest piece last year we already talked about it was Ryan not Ryan Ryan Ellis not being there. You know they they've been they've been having problems offensively since Matt Niskanen left. Not just you know Ryan Ellis. So for the past two seasons now, you know I wonder if they're like looking at this saying. Let's try to plug in these parts here. Couturier comes back healthy. Kevin Hayes healthy when he was playing well down the line last, uh, down the stretch last season. Travis Konecki needs to step it up. He's he's a, he's one on the radar. He's really got to get stepped up big time and, and start really being a big contributor to this team. And and really, you you've had your kind of rebuild already because you you don't have Giroux, you don't have Voracek, you don't have Simmons anymore. You don't have those core guys. You got to wonder. If this is their view of a rebuild and not just selling to the fans because they're, they're, Flyers fans aren't buying it right now. I mean, that's the direction it seems. If you look at it in that perspective, how would you tell the fan base what you're doing this year based upon what you've seen? If you're if you're the Flyers franchise, how are you doing right now? I can't think of it. I don't know what you I don't know what you believe. Possibly advocate for John Tortorella as your big off-season acquisition can you consider a coach an off-season acquisition I don't know but I think what they really have emphasized at certain points of the off-season is restoring the attitude because the last two years have just been a disaster in so many ways yes they don't have top-end talent and that's what we're going to focus on because you're not competing with the Lightning the Panthers uh, even the Capitals and the Penguins with Ovechkin and Crosby still being top-end talent. You don't have that, and that's a bottom line that you're going to need long-term. But in the short term, they have to stabilize, as Chuck Fletcher put it, restore the attitude that can even compete out there. Because so I'll tell you right now, last year they didn't have it. They were a complete mess in all aspects of the game. I don't even think people did it justice how bad they were last year because they stopped paying attention halfway through the season. It was already chalked up as a loss, and they got so bad down the stretch that you have Keith Yandel, a guy who's in the lineup for his supposed leadership and intangibles, failing to make a line change late in the game. I don't know about you guys, but I've known what a line change is since Pee Wee's. <laughs> Right, that's not hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, when you're minus forty-seven, last like a guy like Keith Yandel, you you want to get off the ice as fast as you can, too. <laughs> By the way, I couldn't believe they listed Keith Yandel as the tenth. I think it was NHL.com, the tenth best remaining free agent on the market. Like, what are we doing here? Didn't he announce his retirement? I thought like that was a thing, but. I don't know. I thought that was funny. Hey, uh, if you're not, if you are not following Colin, follow him on Twitter at Colin uh, Newbie at two new beginnings. N e b y beginnings. I, I think that's pretty creative, Colin, right there. Um, you were at development camp. Obviously, we're talking about uh, uh, Cutter and, and Tyson Forrester. The, those are the two big, probably forwards. Uh, I mean, obviously, you have the Cam Yorks and the and, and the like. What'd you see out there? I mean, did you get any sense of? 
who's the favorite of a, or a long shot to make the team this year. Obviously, Tyson Forrester is coming back from an injury-riddled season with the shoulder. Um, I, is he fully healthy, I guess I should ask first, before figuring out who you want, uh, who could make the team? But how's Tyson Forrester, Forrester, talked Forrester looking? On, I guess it was Monday, the first day of development camp, and he seemed pretty optimistic about his health. So at least for now, I think they are in a good spot there. Um, I don't know if they want him on the NHL roster to begin with. Maybe ease him back in in the AHL. And if he does well with the Phantoms, um, well, knowing this organization, everybody's going to be injured. So maybe he gets called up after, I don't know, a month or two (laughs) in the AHL. Um, I think the biggest focus that most of the media kind of centered in on this week was Ronnie Adderd. Um, I thought he made some good strides down the stretch. He was a little bit, I'll say reckless. Maybe that's a strong word when he first came up. But I think he got his feet wet pretty well in the NHL. And if there is a roster spot opening up, I think Adder could jump in at some point next season and try to get to the point of a full-time NHLer. The problem would be what Scott said a little bit ago in that it is a little bit of a crowded blue line. Um, So I don't think Adder would make it out of camp either, but he is somebody to watch next season. And what about the backup goalie situation? Obviously, the 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 loss of uh, Martin uh, Jones uh, went to uh, my boy Martin uh, Jones went to ba- went to Seattle. Martin Jones, thank you. I can't can't believe I was uh, Martin Jones going to Seattle. This whole thing with Fedotov out in Russia being sent to a military camp, which uh, is yeah. just a whole different political situation that we don't have to get into. But like that threw a run- monkey wrench into the situation for them. I guess it's going to be Felix Sandstrom. That's the favorite at this point. Have you? Yeah, heard I mean, it looks like Sandstrom. I think they wanted to pinch a few cap dollars. That's why they let Martin Jones walk. Um, I actually would have rather seen him return than Justin Braun return as kind of a stabilizing way to get Carter Hart yeah. on track rather than the retread defenseman. Uh, but at this point, I guess if you're just going by odds in general. Yeah, Felix Sandstrom looks like the most likely, um, and the guy's name's slipping my mind, but um, when Chuck Fletcher opened the press conference the other day, he announced a few uh, lower-level signings, and one of them was kind of a journeyman goaltender. Um, uh, Scott, can you come up Troy with this Grosnick. guy's name? Okay, thank you. Yeah, Troy Grosnick. Um, yeah. So mostly AHL experience, but he'll be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and that has me concerned because, l- listen, Carter, the most games Carter's ever played was this past season of 45 games. And you really, you're, when, you have, when you start in the NHL, you need a, you need a backup to play 25, 30 games in today's, in today's league. And I know that you got to give guys the opportunity. We saw what happened with Vili Husso about in St. Louis. He turned out to be pretty solid, was traded to Detroit. You guys like Alex Nedeljkovic who come in and, you know, younger guys who, who kind of take the reins. I think there's a nervous factor because – We've seen this play out before. Ontario Nenamaki come in and play 20 games in a row and all that stuff, and it just came, maybe, you know, became a career backup. My concern is, is, is Sandstrom ready to come in and play 25, 30 NHL games? Possibly more, considering that Carter's had injury problems. I, from your perspective, you know, I, I, there isn't, there, the, the goalie market was, was 
huge this year, and they didn't make any kind of move to to do that. I'm just a little concerned about having a young guy like Felix Sandstrom come in here, and if this team surprises people and is good enough, is Sandstrom a good enough guy to keep this team on the rails as they as they go through the season? Yeah, you make a really good point, and as we learned in the 2018-19 season especially, if you want to stabilize your team and you have problems in net, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. The Flyers set an NHL record with eight starting goaltenders that year because they went into the season with Brian Elliott and Michael Neuvirth. Uh Both of them got hurt in the first half of the season, and you just had a complete mess. So there's another question about what were your priorities um and it's not a knock on felix sandstrom no i think it's just such an unknown that you can't really you can't really count on felix sandstrom especially with what you said about carter hardy hasn't been that durable at least to this point um but sandstrom i believe it's five games of nhl experience so what have you really found out about him so far well, from my perspective, looking at him, I think he's got potential there. Um, he played well in his okay. first game against San Jose. You know, last season when he was playing, I think it was against the Rangers, his anticipation on the power play was really good. Um, I just think, more or less, it's the type of goals you get beat on that get me concerned. It's not, you know, I like to look at a goaltender, their technique is really good. All that They all play technical nowadays. You know, his anticipation's good. I thought his reaction was good. I thought he read the play really well. Um but when you get beat on some of the leaky goals like he did, there are some that you have to stop at the NHL level and make a save. And there were a few goals he gave up. But, you know, there was one against that Rangers game. I can't specifically remember how it went, but I'm looking like, yeah, you got to get that one. Like, if you're a pro, you got to get it. Um, you know, in, in, in five games, he had goals against average of 3.23, you know, and his, his save percentage is .910, uh, you know, which is respectable. Um, it just, at that point... You know, I don't know if five games is enough of a sample size to really say, hey, this guy can play 25 or, you know, 20 or 25 more of those. That, that's my only concern with it. I, but, they, again, they have, to, they, have to, they have to risk it, and you're not going to know what it is until, you know, until you actually play them. Uh, and you go back to 18-19, like you said, like they started off Elliot Neuverth, and Neuverth was getting hurt every week, and they brought up Carter Hart. They had um, uh, Calvin Pickard, at Anthony Stolarz, Mike McKenna, uh, but Mike McKenna off a waiver is like who played pretty much every team in the league. <laughs> it was amazing how many how many goaltenders they went through on that point. Um, so yeah, that that that's a, that's a concern of mine. But I I didn't want to follow up with, with something Bill said about the development camp. Cutter Gauthier said he's going to play one year of college and then turn pro. So and the Flyers need depth up the middle. They really do a young center. They don't really have anything you know up down the middle in the in the, in the minors um, and through the and through the system. What player from your view in development camp could be ready to take on, to be on an NHL roster as early as this season? Anything, anybody who's kind of stuck out to you that you saw and saying, hey, this guy could play if if we came into the league now? Well, this is another injury question mark, but a lot of the media the other day was a little hype about Zade Wisdom. Uh, I was not there on Friday. That's when the three-on-three tournament happened. Um, Zade Wisdom apparently flashed a lot of ability there. He's also suffered a couple injuries over the past few seasons, though, so it's difficult to count on somebody that way when he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy over long periods of time. 
but I think it's another case of what I said about Adderd and some of these guys where if things start to open up mid-season, they could be right in the queue ready to come up to the NHL level um, if, the, if the big club were to need them in a pinch. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, too, again, you know, we, we Tyson Forster has come off the injuries and stuff. How did he look during camp? And is there anything as far as that looked concerning or looked, uh, you know, that stuck out to you? Um, I think he looked pretty good, and the real, the real emphasis here, I think, was the confidence in his ability to fire, especially from the flank position, because I think that's what the organization is hoping, that he can be a shooter on the power play. Uh, Mike O'Connell, who's in the Flyers, I guess, scouting staff or development staff, I don't know what his actual title is, He spoke on Monday about some of these guys returning from injury and not being fully confident to get back to the level that they were before that injury. Tyson Forster, I think he showed that he's willing to do that. So that's a positive in the right direction, that he's leaving this injury in the past and getting back on the track that made him a first-round pick in the NHL. Awesome. That's great. Uh, before we wrap here, I just a little get to know you a little bit. I, how did you get into this? What where what got you into hockey? And then obviously your journey to the to the hockey writers. Actually, it's funny when I was in college. I don't know how old you are. You know, uh, I actually wrote. I covered the Winnipeg Jets their second or third year in the NHL for the hockey writers for a season. Uh, so that was a, that's a small weird connection that we have. But okay, how'd you get into the hockey writers and all that? Former hockey writers contributor that's good to hear yeah um i've loved hockey all my life uh played all the way through growing up um learned to love the flyers through my dad who's the ultimate broad street bullies tough guy um back in the 70s and 80s he was mr flyers and then i eventually learned it through the 90s i remember the tail end of eric lindros and then into the modern era. So I've loved the team, and I um, kind of moved out of my profession during the pandemic, picked up blogging for a smaller site called Broad Street Buzz, and then when that started to go well, I just dipped my toes in and made it more of a full-time thing. I also work for 97.5 The Fanatic, the sports radio station, so I just kind of make the rounds in sports media and get to do every single thing possible. That's why I wanted to make a guest appearance with you guys. I just kind of get involved in any way that I can. And with the hockey writers, that's really gone well recently. First with getting the opportunity, and I'm grateful to Flyers PR for letting me in the press box last year, and then just doing a lot of coverage surrounding the draft. Um, Sam Carcitti, very great guy let me into the phwa that was a huge honor that i'm very excited about that's actually starting next season uh, but yeah just trying to make as many steps as i can do to up my flyers coverage basically you know and sam cartini is a great guy he came on and he, he uh we talked with him last year he excellent dude i remember sam cartini from when i was a kid you know writing articles in the local courier post and and stuff Right, you know, one thing I like to ask everybody, you know, everybody who comes on and guests. All right, so your favorite 
uh, player or person that you've ever covered or interviewed and why? I've ever covered or interviewed. Um, I mean, I did gain a lot of respect for Mike Yo at the very end of last season. Um, I think he just handled himself with absolute professionalism. And being there on a game-to-game basis down at the Wells Fargo Center, I saw firsthand what a disaster that actually was. And the fact that Mike Yo just stood out there and took bullet after bullet was pretty pretty impressive. Um, and one more guy, I will uh, do a little shameless self-plug here. In the exit interviews at the Skate Zone after the season, Cam Atkinson dropped a short line about John Tortorella. Uh, went a little bit under the radar that Cam Atkinson did not give that to any of the major beat reporters, did he? Who asked that question that got the John Tortorella line out? Yeah, nice. So that was the oh, best quote I've ever gotten in my short time covering the team. But he did give that little nugget to my question, so I'll give a shout out to Cam Atkinson. You know, it's funny you actually bring up Cam, and I'll wrap with this: like. Is he the favorite? I, I I would actually, I'm one of those people that just goes into this for this team. Don't go in with a captain. Like, this team is a mess. You don't really have a true leader. But Cam Atkinson is probably the most sensical player to be labeled the captain on this team right now because he has the experience with John Torrell. He is a leader. He's probably going to be your top one of your top offensive production uh, guys. Do you lean that same way, or is it kind of like the captain doesn't mean anything to me, name Couturier, because you know he's going to be the guy in two years or whatever um i wouldn't have a problem with cam atkinson do it i wouldn't say he's the favorite to do it uh but i have no problem with thinking outside the box especially with the relationship with tortorella that he's talked about from the time they spent together in columbus so sure if they have that kind of vibe surrounding the team and cam atkinson stepped into a leadership role I would like to see them think outside the box. I've heard people talk along the same lines about Scott Lawton maybe being like a sleeper choice. Um, Couturier obviously been around a while. Kind of the logical layup choice, I guess. Maybe you would call Sean Couturier. But I think it's important to transition into a new leadership group, which is something they talked about at the end of last year, giving Travis Konechny and Joel Farabee a little more responsibility and coming into a new era now that Claude Giroux has moved on. Awesome. Well, Colin, we thank you so much. If you haven't already, make sure you're following him on Twitter at to new beginnings uh, on Twitter at N E U N E W B Y innings on Twitter, Colin, check it out and check out all his writing on the hockey writers, uh, hockey, but uh, broad street buzz, all that good stuff. Colin, thanks so much for joining, man. Do it again next time. And we'll see you on press row this year. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. All right, our thanks again to Colin Newby for coming on the show. Always great insight from him. Make sure you check out his work. As he said, Colin uh, is on the hockeywriters.com and hockey, or excuse me, broadstreetbuzz.com as well. And follow him on Twitter at new at to new beginnings. Newby is spelled N E W B Y. Innings, a little play on words there. Well done. Very clever. Colin. Very, very clever. I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, make sure you're following us at O Backcheck Podcast on Twitter at OAB Backcheck on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Scott is on Twitter at Scott Tata. I am on Twitter, new one, 
just Bill Kornfeld with a K. No more radio Bill 1210. Uh, just Bill, at Bill Kornfeld. It's been great. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure you're emailing us, orangeatbackcheck at gmail.com. Review the podcast. Give it, or give us a rating, I should say. Give us a rating, five stars on Spotify and Instagram. Or excuse me, Spotify and Apple Podcasts that so you can now rate us on there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Don't trade a 24-goal score and a first-round pick. You don't.